y'all awesome guests lined up for today. His name is Phil Warren, and he is the field manager of the Gateway Grizzlies Independent League Baseball Team. Uh, the Grizzlies are uh, play in Sajay, Illinois, just across the river here from where I'm at, downtown St. Louis. Um, they play in the Frontier League, and so really excited to talk to Phil today. Uh, he played college baseball at SEMO before playing in the Frontier League himself and then getting into coaching. So uh, going to talk about this life as an independent league manager and of course we'll do tyler's five at the end of the show which is just our five random and fun questions so uh phil welcome to my podcast and thank you so much for taking the time to be on appreciate it tyler look forward to it awesome so uh obviously the uh, frontier league just made an announcement uh, there's going to be no season this year and and really uh, sad to hear about that i was looking forward to especially being here downtown to uh getting over to some more ball games just across the river so uh, how are you kind of coping with that and, and everything going on well um uh, for a while there it was kind of i was kind of hopeful and then as we got deeper and deeper into this it, it was kind of expected or at least i kind of expected we wouldn't play and uh, then for a while, just waiting on the decision, you know, what, what kind of just having direction now is is good enough for me at this point, you know, so uh, coping with it fine. It's just uh, now we're strategizing and uh, the coaching staff and I were we're recruiting and revamping for 2021 uh, based on, you know, particularly the, the fallout from the 2020 roster of guys that won't play or things like that uh, due to the COVID and retirement and taking jobs and marriage and all those other factors involved with these Absolutely. guys in their career. So we, did, we didn't play. We liked where we were, but now we're, uh, you know, building for 2021 again. For sure. And and if you don't mind me kind of putting you on the spot here, what were those type of conversations that you had? Obviously, these are unprecedented times, so you don't really uh, plan for something like this. Um, but what were those conversations like? You know, were you the one who was informing the players? And then what about the career conversation aspect of it? You know, obviously every year, especially in independent league ball and throughout the season, there's turnover so how do you kind of prepare yourself for those and and what are those conversations like with the players yeah i mean i'll start with the the business end of it in terms of you know is the league going to play their decision that stuff um i was not on the board with that i was associated closely with it in terms of my ownership group talking to me about things our general manager our trainer um and so on so it, it was um you know, it was long and hard and thought out. I mean, there's so many variables that go into it. I mean, we watch it every day, just watching Major League Baseball try and get something done here. Um, nothing, nothing different, uh, but the scale really uh, on their end than our end uh, in terms of the decisions. You know, can you generate revenue to make this work while keeping people safe? And actually having fans in the ballpark and keeping them safe and keeping players safe. And if something happens, can you survive that um, two-week quarantine of two or three teams because someone came down with it? Um, you know, it's just a slew of things. You know, you, you start to play and because of social distancing, you know, we, we usually use one bus when we travel. Now you got to use two or three. Um, we were scheduled to fly places. What would that be like? Hotels instead of one room or, you know, two players in a room. Now you're at one player in a room, you know, the expense to all that adds up real fast. And, um, 
you couple that with not being able to operate at full capacity in your in your at your home games and your stadiums, you know, it just it, it obviously it wasn't a good formula uh, for our level of play per se, um, and it's it, it really hurts hard too because in terms of revenue, you know, there's so many sponsors that go along with with independent baseball, just like major league baseball and minor league baseball, you know, and all major sports, it's, you can't set it without fans. You can't satisfy a sponsorship. So then you have to deal with that. So there was just so many things financially that didn't make sense. Um, you know, more importantly, the health of everyone is really what you couldn't guarantee, um, or even come close to that. So it, it was just, a you know, uh, a hard decision, but I think our league made the right decision personally. And, uh, you know, I had to relay that message to our players, not just, you know, we're not going to play, but what does that mean? What does that mean moving forward? And, you know, explaining that in, from a organizational, you know, perspective, then I had to, you know, coach each, each guy, each player through their own personal uh, – situation per se their own you know where they were at in their career rookies to veterans and everyone in between what that meant for them for the future and all that kind of stuff so uh the conversations with the players it, it i think it drew out long enough that you know it, it, it the conversations were pretty easy it was hard for the guys that were going to retire and lost their last year to a virus per se um but the guys that are, are still going at it and going to play again, you know, it, it was pretty easy by the time the decision was made. They kind of come to terms with it and figured it was going to happen. Um, you know, so, but the guys that retired, you know, the, these are my boys, you know, I help them. I, I do background requests and all kinds of stuff and networking. Uh, I, I turned, a resume end of one of our players the other day, he's, he's trying to get into geo mapping uh, <laughs> with, the, with the government, which I know nothing about except for when I watch the history channel. But uh, you know, so I went through all my connections, uh, found a few people I know, got in touch with them, you know, and, and sent his resume to them, things like that with those guys that are planning on retire, retiring. So the, the season may be over, their careers are over, but my relationships with them are not. And it's one of the things I love about this uh, job that I do is the relationships. And um, so you deal with that. But, you know, now it's keeping keeping the guys that are coming back uh, motivated. Um, you know, independent baseball has the longest offseason there is as, to begin with. And now we have two, two straight years of it of non-competitive baseball for these guys. And uh, so mentally is really – uh, what I focus on, on, uh, really trying to help these guys, you know, in terms of motive, self-motivation and, and it's going to be all right. And you know what, you still outline your goals, revisit them, write them down, you know, understand every day that there's gonna be plenty of days you don't want to work, wake up and do this or do that. But you know what your competition is and, and you better be ready to go. Absolutely. And I appreciate you, uh, saying that because I think it's very important to, you know, for those that are listening to my podcast to understand that, you know, life can go either way, you know, at any time. So just really appreciate, you know, every single time, and I'm talking from a baseball perspective here, but really appreciate the time you do have on the field because you just never know as we 
are finding out now, just you never know when it will be taken away from you and it's not your choice, so to speak. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, we talk about it all the time, even when we are playing, you know, it's, it's human nature at times to get complacent and, and settle for, you know, a little bit of mediocrity or not quite your best or 90% or something like that. But, you know, one of the things I always use to remind these guys is, and myself is, you know, this, this year was a virus, but even when, when there is no virus, you know, uh, you're a, a freak accident away. Injuries happen all the time. You just never know when it's your last pitch, your last inning, your last at bat, your last game. You don't know. And uh, the guys that, that treat it that way are going to have, they're going to find success. And, you know, ultimately more than anything, if you approach it that way, you'll walk when you do, because we all do, when you walk away from this game, especially as a player, there'll be no regrets. You left it all there. You gave it all you had. And, and at the end of the day, that's really all you can do because um, there's so much out of your control. You just got to give it everything you got. For sure. And, and going along with that too. So we had a uh, Bubba bird song on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's a, a 32 year high school coaching veteran. Uh, he actually coached against uh, uh, one of your former pitching coaches and James Frisbee when they were in the, both in the South coast league. And he, he mentioned the same thing about the references and, and being, you know, these are kind of, you know, your guys, you know, regardless of what happens on the field after their careers are over, you know, so you're that reference. And it also goes to the fact that he made a comment that, um, that I think will, will resonate with you as well. He said an independent league ball, everybody is, gunning for everybody else's job. Somebody else is waiting to step in line. And so do you see that um, kind of from your perspective as well, being a field manager, is that something that's always in the back of your mind in terms of coaching the players is, Hey, there's somebody else lined up ready to go. So if you're not, you know, if you're not going to give it your all, you know, I've got 30 other people would love to be in your position. Absolutely. Uh, it's, that's the business end of this. You know, you have, once you finish college, you have, you really have, two avenues, uh, minor league baseball and independent baseball, uh, to play professionally, uh, to try and reach everyone's goal, uh, that of being a big leaguer, you know? So, you know, if you don't get drafted or you get released out of affiliated baseball, you play independent ball. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's an avenue to either get back or get there your first time. And that you have to get there before you can make the big league. So you're absolutely right. Uh, we, we certainly echo that sentiment uh, with our guys and, you know, because it's the truth and you'd be maybe not you, but people would be amazed at the number of inquiries we get um, wanting to join our team. It's just, it's amazing. It's, it's pushes a thousand every year, uh, you know, of emails, phone calls, texts, people's networks, reaching out agents. It, you know, from guys that play JUCO that didn't have the grades, that didn't go on to a four-year to finish their their schooling and play, to guys that have been as high as AA, AAA uh, looking for jobs. So it's just a melting pot of talent. And you're right. It it uh, there's always whether well, whether you're managing like me or playing like them or somewhere in between. There's always someone when you're on that field, you know, ready to jump on your job if you're not ready for it. For sure. And I appreciate you um, bringing up the importance of or, or the great aspect of it, because I want to ask you directly as a, as a field manager on the importance of getting good grades. Is that something 
and I would assume, you know, uh, players aren't, you know, bringing, you know, bringing their transcripts from, from JUCO to you and saying, you know, here's my resume, here's my grades. But um, I would assume that that connections play a big part in, in, in the, the grades and the whole college perspective does play a part in whether you want to want to give someone a job. You know, if, if someone had a history of maybe, you know, off the field issues, combine that with, hey, they dropped out of this this uh, JUCO college because they, they weren't making the grades or whatever the scenario is as it relates to grades and just being a good human being off the field, that all factors in, doesn't it? It does. I mean, uh, that's, it's such a dynamic question. Uh, and that, you know, uh, the, the, there's no debate in my mind. I mean, look, there's plenty of very good people, very good players that just weren't good at school uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, that, that happens, but uh, there's still an importance on grades if you can accomplish them and you work at it and you get it. And it starts in high school. Uh, grades help in many ways. I'll give you my own ex personal example. I went to, uh, I'll, I'll just call it a kind of a marquee high school, a private high school, well-known high school in St. Louis there at Vianney in Kirkwood, really known for soccer when I got there in the late 90s, early 90s, sorry. And then uh, we kind of, my class kind of started putting baseball on the map. Uh, the, the seniors before me, there were a few good ones, good team, uh, but, but we were just kind of loaded once we got in there and it, baseball started to take off for them. Uh, I don't know if you remember Cliff Pleat by chance, but Cliff was a senior when I was a freshman at Vianney, and that was the first time I ever saw 95 miles an hour. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I was like, wow, I got a lot of work to do to be able to hit that. Uh, so anyway, my, my point is I got really good grades at Biani, And what it did for me was allowed me when I was ready, you know, to go to college and graduate high school. It allowed me to be attractive uh, to schools that were recruiting me because I, I achieved good grades. And that meant I could get uh, scholarship money at, from my education, from my grades. And that, that means a lot when a college coach wants to give you baseball money scholarship-wise as well, and he's still trying to keep enough to build a really good team and, you know, uh, a good future for the, for the college team. So um, it, gives, it, gives your set, it gives you options, and it also gives the coaches that are recruiting you options. Um, I ended up at SEMO, great school, good mid-major program. Mm -hmm. uh, great experience. Uh, we were, I don't want to say we were close to the college world series, but we were the first team to go to a division one regional and we had Wichita state on the ropes, um, in front of their home crowd to open up the regional, uh, back then it was an amazing experience for me, <laughs> you know, but I, I think without, there's so much we could talk about with this, but, but back to your point about grades, you know, grades, grades allow you really to get into good programs, good schools. Uh, once you achieve that, it's not just go there, go to class and play baseball. You, you it's baseball is a fraternity, especially when you get into college and it's a family and you're right. It grooms young men. So when I recruit guys that are out of college, especially I look at where they go to school, not, not just what they did statistically on the field, but did they win? Were they part of winning programs? Um, I'll call their coach. Was he in trouble a lot? Did he cause you problems? Is he teachable? On and on and on. All those types of things. And, you know, to get to the better coaches, uh, 
grades will help you do that. Um, and when you get there, you can be taught better. And, um, you know, you ultimately, like you said, you become a better player, a better teammate, a better person. And, you know, moving into indie ball off of grades, it's, it's a little more dynamic. You know, minor league baseball is trying to develop future major leaguers is what they're doing. They draft it that way. They sign guys that way. And for us, we're trying to win and also promote our players to be signed by minor league teams. So it's a, it's a little different dynamic there. And I know, and you know, winning takes uh, a team that buys in and good teammates, a good clubhouse, a good locker room, a family per se, guys playing for each other, not just themselves. And uh, guys that come from good programs, winning programs, they know how to win. They know how to behave. Uh, I don't have to babysit them when we're on the road or we're at home. They're on time. You know, people make mistakes. I'm not talking about that. But overall, you know, I don't usually, when they do, I don't have to usually even handle those mistakes because the team will make, will handle that for me. That's the kind of atmosphere we try to create. And uh, so grades can take you a lot further than you know, look, I was in high school too playing and my parents were the ones, you know, hounding me about grades, 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 grades. And of course, Viana, you had to keep your grades up, yeah. stay on the field. Uh, but, uh, you know, just like a lot of us, when we're that young, it's maybe third on our list of uh, what, <laughs> what's important. But uh, I'm glad I bought into what mom and dad were always always pushing me to be scholastically. And, and uh, it really helped me. It will it will never hurt someone. Good grades will only help in many different ways. Absolutely. And going along with that, you really want to talk about your time uh, time at SEMO. And, and just to give you a little bit of background, um, so I was a video coordinator at uh, Missouri State under Keith Gudden. And we were talking about, like, you know, different teams and, and, and the buy-in. So my first year, I was there two years uh, with Coach Gudden. I did basketball for, for four years there. Um, and then two years overlapped with baseball. Um, so my first year, I think we finished 24 and 49 or something like that, which is not, as you know, the Missouri State. Um, that's not the norm uh, for Missouri State baseball. And then the next year, you know, the 2015 came within one win of the College World Series. So, you know, being on both sides, but just you're right. I saw the buy in from that perspective and really saw. Uh, what it takes to be successful and it's good players on and off the field who do the right thing, who show up, you know, Tate Matheny would always be, you know, at the, at the batting or the hitting facility at, you know, six in the morning, ready to go, you know, taking extra right. things. So all those factor into, to a good team. And, and, and I really appreciate you reiterating that aspect with, with, with gateway. And was it the same way there at SEMO? Was it, um, you know, was it the same way, like at the college level where guys showing up early, getting extra hits or where did you really kind of see the bulk of, Hey, these are the guys, the guys who are successful or the ones doing the extra work or was that all the way, you know, from even when you were in little league? Yeah, no, it, it, uh, reflecting on it as a young kid, a young player, you know, we're kids, you know, so <laughs> we're easily distracted. Uh, my buddy's having a pool party next door when you're 14. Well, you might skip your batting cage practice at home and go to the pool party, you know. But as I as I approached high school and certainly when I got into high school and then when I got to SEMO, um, 
I, I was a player that was already I would arrive early and stay late. I was always working and 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 I've even had coaches say, "Hey, back off. You can overdo it and you know, when it's broke, don't fix it. Not broke, don't fix it. You know, don't try and fix it." And you know, so I also, you know, high school and college also helped me understand how to train properly as well. Uh, but to your point, you know, when when you're a freshman in college, you know, typically you come from a place where you were the man as a senior in high school and you get humbled real quick uh, when you're a freshman. And I remember the first day I walked in, uh, no different than when I was a freshman at Viani and I saw Cliff Philippe pitching and I could barely see it. I could only hear the baseball, you know, going to the catcher. I was like, wow, uh, it was it was the same thing. So internally it just it drove me it drove me even more to make sure i was when i thought i was done given i would search for something more to give and put into this and you know if i'm doing that well guess what the next guy in line might and they did you know our cmo teams that's what it was like it, very similar to coach gutton's better teams um and it, it's no different from a lot of the college teams uh across the nation especially the better ones you can see it. You hear coaches talk about it. Um, they actively recruit it, and uh, it, it's a big deal, you know. And wh when one person, you know, uh, is staying till 9 p.m. after, you know, back when I played, there wasn't many rules on how long you could practice, so we were out there forever. But uh, you know, it, when we're, it's dark and we're still practicing. And we got 6 a.m. gym in the morning before 8 a.m. class, and we're all still working. That's when we knew we were going to be good. It, we were, we were tested, and we were all bought in. And and you know what? We we were ready for anything. And you know, it wasn't it wasn't going to be because someone outworked us. Um, talent ultimately prevailed, and you know, we lost to Georgia Tech and Wichita State. In uh, 1998, I mean, you can hang your hat on that and still be proud of the opportunity to compete at that, you know, at that level with those guys and yeah. and put put a good challenge up for them. So, um, yeah, it was. Uh, I've seen it for a while. Um, you know, a lot of people are just more self motivated motivated than others. Some of some people it comes easier to than others. Uh, but from a team perspective, you know, regardless of who you are, you know, you're not just pushing yourself you know, when it comes to winning, you got to push your teammates too. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you bring up Wichita state that, uh, that kind of, uh, brings back some memories myself too, with, with playing up there and them coming down, uh, to Hammonds field and, and being a part of those. And then actually, so the year you played against them, that, that 98 year, uh, Wichita state had a guy who, uh, by the name of Ben Christensen, I'm sure that name probably rings a bell. And then the next year he would go on and I believe finish, uh, 21 and one and then was a was a first round draft pick by the cubs uh went a little later than he probably should have due to due to some things that had happened um yeah. but um taking all that you know you were uh definitely nothing like you said to hang your hat about especially going against a guy who uh, would end up finishing you know 21 and one uh not many uh not many teams would go past someone like him and but you were uh it sounds like hard work is what got you to that point for sure it did. I mean, you figure that it was the opening game of that regional, and I believe you can fact check me, but I believe by, by the seventh inning, sixth or seventh inning, we were up eight to three. I was playing right field, 
uh, our center fielder lost a ball in the sun and I'm not a fast guy. <laughs> I somehow got all the way over there. It was a high fly ball. I got over there, shoestring catch, rolled, tumbled, caught it. And I, I mean, it, by the sixth inning, the Wichita, the home crowd was cheering us on like that. It, it was simple. I can't explain it. It was just amazing. And then a walk here, a walk there, a bloop here and baseball later, you know, we lost the game by a run or two. So, um, you know, but you're right. It, it We get we didn't go in there and not give them everything they could handle. They earned it. They beat us. But, uh, you know, we were proud. We, we had everything to be proud about, you know. That didn't just happen in one day. That was a long journey of a lot of work, a lot of commitment, a lot of ups and downs, and uh, you know your family struggles and perseverance as a team. And um, you know it, it was a, a feather in our cap the way we look at it. Absolutely, for sure. And and this would lead you to then um, you would go on and and uh, have a professional playing career yourself, uh, playing with Gateway. But before we uh, before we kind of transition into that, I do want to make mention of this because I really think it's important. You were talking about you know relationships and baseball being a fraternity, and and um, you know you going to bat for your guys, no pun intended, when they need like job references. Um, and I just want to. Uh, personally say, you know, I saw, I witnessed this firsthand. So I was actually uh, at the game last year when you all hosted the uh, Hall of Fame induction. And there were, I believe there were two guys going into the Hall of Fame. One of them, a well-known uh, Jason Simon Tachi, uh, yeah. played for the Cardinals, spent some time coaching in the organization. I believe he is with the Royals now in some sort of a scouting or advisory role. I could be wrong there, uh, but I think he's right. That sounds right. Yeah. And so, but just the stories he was telling, you know, on the field of his time in Gateway and, and um, what Frontier League and Independent League ball did for him. And then now he's coming back, you know, after the fact, you know, basically showing, of course, he's being inducted in the Hall of Fame, but really just showed a genuine appreciation for the Frontier League and for what his time at Gateway did for him. And so from a coaching perspective, I mean, to me, and, and I remember him looking over to the dugout and, and talking directly to your guys um, in front of the crowd and saying, this is what it takes. This is what got me here. As a coach, what are those moments like when, you know, here's a major leaguer who's been here where your players have, have been at. And then, you know, now that player's coming back to you know, thank the, the, the community and, and, and the team. What is that like for you as a coach? Well, it honestly, it, it, it's huge for many reasons, but a couple of the biggest, you know, first of all, I'm with my guys every day, most hours, you know, we, we all go to sleep and if we're on the road, we see each other at breakfast in the hotel lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the time. So, you know, I try and distance myself even at times because I don't want to, you know, it's just like being at home with dad, you know, you, you believe him, you buy in, but you're tired of hearing it. So you don't want to overload the guys either, you know? Right. So, but having a guy like Jason Simontachi come in, who's walked the road we're walking down or they're walking down now as players. Um, and, you know, a lot of the same things he said, I've told these guys, the other coaches they've had have told them, but, but it's, it's different. Uh, it can be different when a guy not with them every day that achieved the highest level possible and what these guys' dreams are um, to tell them the same stuff. So as a coach, it, it, it's it's just truly a blessing to have someone come in and echo what you're preaching every day and trying to help them with. And, uh, 
But on the other end, you know, baseball, we all know how big of a grind baseball is, whether you're in college, whether you're on a select youth team and you're traveling and playing 60 games plus practice, you know, whatever it is, it's a grind. And uh, a lot of times mentally it's easy to lose track of, uh, especially, you know, you have a bad week on the mound or at the plate. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to lose track of your goals and, and get a little discouraged. But, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think Jason's message, you know, reinstilled hope and helped those guys' flames burn a little hotter, uh, per se, on what they were trying to achieve. Uh, not just our team, the other team as well, and any other baseball player that was sitting in the seats that night. Um, you know, so it, it was really a cool thing, a good deal. And, uh, you know, it, it just reassured those guys that, you know, I'm on the right path. This is where I'm at now. It's not where I'm going to end up, but this is where I'm at now. And if I excel, if I succeed and, and do everything I can, uh, one of two things are going to happen. I'm going to move on and move up a level. Or I'm going to walk away from this knowing I gave everything with no regrets. And, uh, you know, so his, his, uh, his talk there and his taking a little bit of time to direct it straight at the players, I thought was, was just, you know, for me it was a, a welcomed uh, blessing per se. But I think it was great for those guys too. Absolutely. And I got, I, I got chills just sitting there. And, of course, I'm, you know, there and I'm watching the game through like a coach's lens. Um, but I got even got chills, you know, just seeing that because it just kind of even if you're not a player for me, it's, you know, I work in the corporate world and it just kind of even sends a message to me like, hey, you can do anything you want in life with, with hard work. And so it even that message resonated uh, with me. And that was my first ever uh, Gateway Grizzlies game ever. So I uh, I think I picked a pretty good uh, game yeah, yeah, you did. To, to go see. And, uh, you know, I've been to, been to Joliet, a couple games there, been to, been to Schaumburg. Uh, so really just value what the Frontier League is all about. And, and want to kind of transition now into you played in this league. Now you're managing, uh, going on, this was supposed to be year 14 for you uh, managing. So you've been, you've been on both sides. I want to talk about a little bit about your playing, the transition into coaching, uh, kind of what that transition looked like, and then uh, get into get into uh, your life as a uh, independent league professional manager. Sure. Yeah. So uh, let's see. My senior season in at SEMO was, uh, I believe, two thousand. So uh, didn't get drafted. Had some interest. I had a really, really strong. I think I had four or five home runs in the conference tournament my senior year. Um, so I had a really good showing at a really good, you know, timings, everything. So any doubts I, I erased uh, potentially as a player through my performance uh, in the OBC tournament there my senior year. Uh, didn't get the call I wanted, didn't get drafted. So I stayed in Cape and uh, played for the Kappa Halls, if you're familiar with them down there. Uh, mm -hmm. Men's summer league, just staying, trying to stay sharp, trained, and did all that stuff. And um, at the time, email was not like we know it today, so networking was still a little slow. Um, but uh, we were sending feelers out, and I, uh, Darren Kinsaw, my best friend, he's one of my hitting coaches, owns the academy with me down at Gateway, uh, the baseball academy there. His brother was sending stuff out for him and me that since we didn't get drafted and. Um, we got a call about a tryout in Chillicothe, Ohio. Uh, so 
myself and another teammate, we drove the 10 hours or whatever from Cape, tried out um, one day, first day, did okay, and uh, went back. They had us at a host family's house. We went back, hung out, came back the next day, and uh, we were brought in the office and told uh, guys our manager had a heart attack last night. We, we're not going to do anything today. Uh, but we know you drove all this way. We got to get through this. We want you to, if you can, can you stay another night and then, you know, just watch the game tonight, come back tomorrow and we'll work you guys out again. I said, you know, obviously sure. So we did that. Uh, next day, the hitting coach made a few adjustments with me and, and, uh, all that took BP through, ran, did all that stuff. And, um, they called us down in the office after, after the, uh, tryout and, uh, there was another guy too, so there's three of us. Had us all stand in line, facing the acting manager uh, <laughs> desk, and all right, we choose. We're going to keep you. And they pointed to my teammate from SEMO, and I, I was like, "Hell yeah, good job, buddy!" You know, I was I was pumped for him and all that. Uh-huh. And, and then uh, one of the assistant coaches went over to the man, acting manager and said whispered something to him and we're like oh what's up and then he goes oh we're sorry no we're keeping you and they pointed to me and i was like oh you got to be kidding me right now so uh kind of a unique story per se but that's if you read any indie ball books you know that's nothing that's kind of normal (laughs) i guess you'd say but uh so my buddy went home. His career was over. He didn't do anything else. Uh, I was on the team. Started on the bench a little bit. Started hitting. Worked my way in the lineup, and and uh, the rest was history. Played there. Had two really good years. Blew out my knee my second year there, so it shortened my season. Came back. Had another good year, and then uh, mom got sick back in St. Louis, uh, where I'm from. So uh, talked to the manager, all that, and that was after the O2 season. And I uh, talked to him, and thankfully, uh, they were able to work out a trade that sent me to Gateway and uh, came down, played first base 03. We won a Frontier League championship that year, uh, played 04, 05, and uh, got married in 05, and then uh, officially hung up my spikes after the 05 season. And uh, from there, met with the Grizzlies management and Started a kind of a, I guess you call it a youth, youth camp, youth sports director for the organization, putting on camps and getting youth involved in what we do and, and things like that. And, uh, and the player personnel director, which is essentially recruiting players for the team and uh, signing guys and, you know, finding talent, have them come out, work out, run them by the manager, see who he wants, who he doesn't, what we need, what we don't, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, in-season roster management. Somebody gets hurt, picked up, traded, what we're doing. Um, you know, side note, I think, you know, it's independent baseball, so you don't wear just one hat. Uh, every morning I was there at 8 a.m. on home games, and I flipped at least 1,500 hamburgers every day on that grill uh, to get ready. So uh, for you, Tyler, uh, being in the corporate world, uh, I've – witnessed a little bit of it, experienced all I need to about it. Uh, I'm good with not doing any more. It's hard work. Uh, I'm <laughs> off to you. But uh, yeah, so uh, 
after that, uh, Danny Cox was our manager. I played for him. And then, of course, in 06, when I was in the office, uh, he was our manager. He stepped down in 06. I threw my name in the hat, uh, you know, for the open position. And the interview process began uh, that fall of uh, 06. Uh, I remember getting a call from our general manager. Hey, I need you up here early. Our owner wants to meet with you. They've narrowed things down um, in terms of who they want to hire, and, and he wants to talk to you more. Of course, our owner's Rich Soje. Uh, yeah. Everybody around here knows him. But uh, So I uh, went over to Rich's office, sat there. We were talking, and uh, one thing led to another, and, and essentially they told me, well, you know what? We think you're our guy. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Like, I didn't expect it. You know, I just finished playing. I had no experience um, on and on and on. But they saw a lot of good things in me. I know the league. I'd been in it for a while. I did the player procurement stuff, you know, director of player personnel. And uh, they knew I was a leader, a uh, good player, all that stuff. You know, so uh, they, they took a chance. And you could imagine the number of resumes that came across their desk uh, for that position. But, uh, funny enough, just like the first time, um, during my tryout out of SEMO and Chillicothe, uh, the phone rings while I'm in the meeting with Rich and Tony, uh, Tony Funderburg at the time, our GM. And I get asked to leave the room. I was like, you, you gotta be kidding. Me. So I come back in the room, they have me sit down and, uh, he says, Phil, you know who that was on the phone? I'm like, uh, Mr. Soja, I have no idea, nor could I imagine. It could be anyone. He goes, that was Tommy John. <laughs> I said, oh, my gosh, really? How's Tommy doing today? <laughs> uh, you know, just trying to roll roll with it. And uh, he's like, well, Tommy wants the same thing you want. I was like, wow. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's uh, that's some respect there for what we're doing, Rich, isn't it? And I was, he's like, yes, sir, it is. He goes, but you know what? You're a guy. I told Tommy, you're a guy. Uh, you're our new manager. Stood up, shook my hand. He goes, I look forward to working with you, and and let's get, let's get this thing going. And I was like, wow. Uh, so, Tyler, that's, uh, that was my uh, when I was officially hired with a handshake. And uh, I guess you could say the rest of kind of history. Been doing it since 07. Absolutely. And I really appreciate the insight with that. And, and it just goes to show, too, I think, uh, and this is absolutely not taking anything away from, from you as a playing career, but I really think it goes to show how much relationships and, and the, you know, all those 8 a.m. showing up and flipping the 1500 burgers. Um, don't think that that didn't play a part in that, I wouldn't think. You know, absolutely. them seeing, you know, that relationship part, you know. Well, they had a relationship with you and then saw like, hey, here's our director of player personnel, but he's also back, you know, firing the grill up too. And and I really think, you know, that's just life in general as well, Phil. I think that's what makes people, you know, succeed is knowing that, you know, they'll be taken care of if they do the little things that maybe aren't so glamorous. Absolutely. And, you know, and there's, there's also a, I remember in passing before the actual it was after I put my name in the hat, but before the actual interview process, you know, went about, you know, I, I saw Big Rich at a, we had a Christmas party in the office and uh, we got to, you know, small talking or whatnot, nothing serious. And I was like, you know, 
I know life happens and things could change, but I, I honestly could see myself maybe your first employee ever down the road that retired as a gateway grizzly. Um, I don't know what that means or if it's possible, but you know, that's, and I, I think what I was really trying to say, and I think what he really recognized was my loyalty to him and the organization. And I, I think that coupled with, like you said, you know, flipping the burgers and, and doing all the little things and, you know, me doing that, just flipping the burgers every day for uh, 48 home games, you know, that's still teamwork. It's a production for out of that front office, as you know, to put on these events from selling tickets and handling groups and sponsors and keeping everyone happy, safe, having a good time, ordering all the food and the beverages and, you know, staffing the, like there's so much to it. It's, it's a team effort. I learned that, you know, right away when my first year in the front office. And, uh, you know, I think why I was able to handle it was I was always a team guy as it was. So, uh, I think, I think you're right. And, uh, flipping the burgers, not to say I really enjoyed it, but, uh, it's, I think it did pay off. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I really, uh, really valued, you know, like when I went to, to that game and just saw, you know, I just really appreciate what independent league baseball, you know, does to people because it's, you know, it's one of those in my eyes where the players are there because they love the game and they're going to do everything they can. Because like you said, some of them are trying to either get into affiliated ball for the first time or others are trying to get back. And and in your instance, you know, it sounds like you always wanted to want to work for the team in some capacity, you know, continue to work for the team and it turns out as managers. So I just really appreciate what independent league ball does to people, not only, you know, players, you know, on the field, moving them to the next steps in their careers, but then, you know, you yourself as a, you know, getting moving, moved into the coaching role. So it's definitely a great place to, to learn work ethic and learn, um, really give you hands on too of because you're kind of a jack of all trades, uh, it really provides you with opportunities that maybe if you were an affiliated ball, you wouldn't necessarily have the opportunities to do, you know, if you want to dabble a little bit in marketing or dabble a little bit in HR or whatever it is, um, I think it's a lot more opportunities in, in independent ball. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not compartmentalized in, in, in indie ball <laughs> when you're working for the front office. I mean, you know, you, if one day you're helping, you know, uh, the director of stadium ops put out tables and chairs or get them powder coated and put them on a trailer and taking them into town, getting them back. The next day you're helping unload a Pepsi truck. And then the next day you're making burgers, you know, and then everyone drops what they're doing because there's a storm coming in. You got to do the tarp. Yeah. Take the tarp off. I mean, it's just, it's, you're, it's a team. You're a team and you're right, you know. You're in meetings and you may be assigned to player stuff and youth youth programs and working at one grill, but the majority of your meeting sitting in there, you're you're listening to the ticket directors talk, the uh, director of corporate sales talk. So you're whether you're doing it, you're still learning about it uh, and you're exposed to it, uh, like you said, and and uh, you get bits and pieces of everything. And yeah, it, it, at the end, it, it can tell you what you don't really like and what you do before having to do any of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And and we want to kind of talk a little bit to this last segment before we get into Tyler's five, kind of your uh, day-to-day life uh, as a manager, uh, any cool road stories you have, and then would like to talk specifically about uh, just the Frontier League and the ballparks and being able to manage in those. So I'll start out with what's the day in the life of Phil Warren as a, as a uh, field manager? 
Is this uh, non-COVID nineteen? Yeah, uh, both. We'll 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 go both. Uh, yeah. COVID nineteen, and then and then now, you know, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. You're you're recruiting players, but yeah. uh, give me as much information as you want our listeners to hear. We'd love to to hear what what a day in the life is as a as a field manager. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, first of all, I wake up and I go, wow. Um, you know, every day I try and reflect a little bit and keep a good perspective. And, and the fact of the matter is I get, I wake up and my job is baseball. So, uh, you know, even my worst days I try to, and I have them, don't get me wrong, but, uh, try to keep a perspective that man, I get to do baseball today, no matter what. And, uh, so that's awesome. Um, you know, much like everyone, I, I wake up and get my day started. I, I mean, typically I start thinking about where's the roster at, depending on the time of year. What we got to do next? I mean, the roster pretty much dominates my off season in terms of uh, who we need to be recruiting, who I need to call. You know, answering phone calls and returning messages and emails that takes up most of my time during the day um, in the off season. And on top of that, I handle the entire baseball operations budget. So that you know, that's baseballs, uniforms, all the equipment, everything else. Um, and I also I'm in charge of hiring uh, the clubhouse managers and keeping that part done. And I also am the basically the team organizational liaison with our host family program. So I'm always working with them and and uh, promoting our host family program for housing for our players and all that. So all that stuff adds up. It's it's typically a full day. It's nice. I can. These days, you know, I can be mobile with it. I, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll do a lot of work from a boat while I'm bass fishing. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, in the fall, after the season, I do, I'll bring my hotspot, my cell phone, and my computer, and I'll be in the deer woods, and, you know, I'll be sitting in a stand and texting a player, uh, talking with a coach, uh, things like that. So it never stops, and, um, but I love it. It's great. It's what it takes. Um, you know, in season, completely different, you know, it's, it's wake up, get a workout in if you can get there before the first player, if you can, uh, I want to, I want them to see, you know, I, my coaches, I, I like to talk to them before our guys get there, outline, you know, any, any itemized work we want to do with guys, early work, uh, specific to certain players and then get a feel overall where we're at. Uh, our pitchers show up first. We can get an idea of, of who's hot, who's not out of the bullpen that night. Uh, check in with the trainers. Make sure everybody's feeling good. Know who isn't. Uh, you know, just all those little X factors that you got to be aware of before 7.05. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, even in season, you're look. you know, I, I got a call from the Cardinals the other day, and they're really high on – you know, uh, Phil Warren and they're going to come out and see him tonight. Okay, guys. Well, you know, he's been rolling. He's, he's doing good. He's only getting better. Uh, he performs tonight. He may be gone. Let's start working on plan B if he gets picked up, you know, uh, what are we going to do there? What are our options? Well, who's on our, uh, our follow list, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, again, back to the roster. So, um, you know, it's, there's a, a lot of work, uh, as the manager per se on, on game day, than just strapping it on and getting after it at seven Oh five, um, <clears throat> guys start showing up. I try and leave half hour, 40 minutes 
between BP, the beginning of BP and the end of BP and during, if I'm not throwing, um, to walk around, check in with the guys, see how their day's going, see where they're at, how they're feeling, talk to guys about last night's game, you know, pump up the guys that may maybe had a rough night, build, you know, keep the guys level that had a great night and um, help them recognize, you know, what they did right and, and what they changed and adjusted to that helped them have a good night and help them build off it and, you know, uh, just kind of constantly taking the temperature of the team uh, per se and and individually and and then uh, strap it on, go, game's over, uh, win or lose, come in the office, kind of cool off. We kind of got like a five to ten minute crack a beer, crack a water, <laughs> crack, <Yeah>. a, <clears throat> crack whatever you're into, cool off, shower up. We all kind of reconvene in my office, let the players kind of filter out, uh, make sure we're not interrupted, and then uh, kind of recap things. Talk about the State of the Union real quick, about the game, not too much, um, you know, and then uh, figure out kind of loosely uh, we'll kind of put together a loose agenda for tomorrow and then the drive home, I'm already thinking about that. And, you know, before bed, I'm probably thinking about that. And sometimes I don't sleep as much as I should because I'm thinking about that and, uh, you know, wake up next day and, and here we go. So it's uh, it's a baseball 24-7 typically. Uh, one way or the other and uh, I mean it's awesome it, don't get me wrong it's stressful but it's uh, it's pretty cool and you know it's uh, it's I don't even like calling it work it's work don't get me wrong but uh, it, it's just it's fun it's challenging and uh, I know every other manager that I compete with is doing the same thing um, you know and I, it's it's what it takes it's a, it's a blast Absolutely. And it, it's it's really, as you said, you know, you have a longer off season, um, but that doesn't mean that things that doesn't necessarily mean you get more days off either because of things like roster construction. And, and there's always guys who are probably, you know, even like right now, I'm sure you're feeling phone calls from people who are or from affiliated teams who may be interested in looking at a guy or or whatever the case may be. So it definitely uh, it definitely is a 24 seven job, it seems like. But it's a, it's one of those that seems very rewarding as well. Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, you're after two things, uh, success for the organization. And with that, with that, for that to happen comes success for the players. You know, I feel like I'm just along for the ride. I'm providing a platform and I'm trying to give as much support and direction and, and coaching to these guys as I can. And if I do a good job, I feel like that'll help achieve those two goals. And, uh, you know, success isn't always a title. It isn't always, you know, making the playoffs. There's a lot of success in between all of that. And, uh, you know, I try and give these guys everything I have on the field. And, uh, you know, the other part of success, like it's kind of like when we first started, you know, I, I've got players, former players, I've got players, Tyler, that I've cut and released um, because they weren't getting it done. That in the heat of the moment, they hated me. They couldn't, you know, they didn't want to talk to me again. And, you know, two months later, they'll give me a call and we'll talk and and they've kind of settled down per se, kind of grabbed perspective about it and they got a better understanding of it. And, and they're calling to ask me, hey, you know what? Uh, I understand what you're saying now. Um, I said, well, what are you doing now? And he's like, well, you know, that's one thing I was calling about, too. He's like, 
I, I'm thinking about going to the FBI. Would you mind being a reference for me? He goes, I know, I, I know we didn't leave on good, or I didn't leave on good terms. He goes, but I respect you. And, and I learned a lot from you, regardless of how I performed or felt uh, about getting released, you know? So, you know, those guys don't have to do that, but when they do that, um, I, I feel like I have taught them something outside of baseball. And so helping these guys grow as young men, they're still young men, you know, they're, they're just out of college or a few years removed. So there's still a lot to learn in life. And if I can give them something to learn in life, help them to be better and achieve goals outside of baseball while being the best player they can be, that's all I can ask. Absolutely. And, and going along with that too, you, uh, you had mentioned earlier, you know, you're around these guys all the time. So you get to know them as, you know, as people, as human beings, and they get to know you as, as a person, not necessarily a quote unquote manager or in the corporate world, we call them a supervisor or whatever boss, whatever the title is. Um, so with that, you do a lot of traveling with these guys. So, uh, just curious, any cool road stories, funny road stories or anything, you know, that's happened on the road that just kind of stands out. Like you'll never forget. Oh man. Uh, there's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, man, that's a great question, man. Well, there's, there's some you can talk about and some you can't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I was in college athletics for uh for six years, so I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, let's see here, Tyler. One that stands out. We were in Traverse City, Michigan, which, as you know, is like 12 hours from Gateway, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a really good series. Uh, our broadcaster at the time was Sam Levitt. Uh, still a good friend of mine. We talk all the time. He's, he's in triple a baseball now, but, um, he's in charge of what he's in charge. One of the, one of his duties, not just broadcasting. We tip the uh, clubhouse managers, um, obviously after, after a road trip and I give him the money to tip, uh, before the road trip starts, uh, before we, right when we get on the bus to leave. And his job is to give me that so I don't forget it or lose it or it doesn't so it doesn't sit in my office during the whole series uh, to give to the clubhouse manager before we leave. And, you know, we're we're basically as far away as you can be and we're not going to see these guys again. And we get, I don't know, two to three hours down the road. And I thought about it. and I, I look back and it was I think it was his first year. I said, Sam, he's like, oh, no, oh, my God, you got to be kidding. You know, maybe a few different words, but um, I forgot to give the clubby money. Turn the bus around, turn the bus around. Our bus driver looked at him and said, uh, and the rest of the bus, no chance, Sam Levitt. We are turning this bus around. So we made I don't remember what we did. We made him mail it. I don't know, but he was embarrassed, upset, ghost white. He's very, he's, he's, uh, how do I put this? He, he tries to be awesome every second of his life and he doesn't handle it when he's not. And he, he, uh, he, he dropped the ball on that one. I'll just say that. And, uh, so it, it got worked out. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, that was a, uh, a, a nice one. Nice memory. Uh, fun memory. Let's see. There's, uh, Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, yeah. So we're heading to uh, heading to River City, which, as you know, is 45 minutes away. 
And uh, the guys in the back of the bus are just hooting and hollering, Phil, I can't breathe. It's too hot back here. What are we doing? Can we turn the air on? The bus driver's getting mad. Bus driver's like, boys, the air's on. So then it becomes a squabble between the back of the bus and the front. Well, then all of a sudden I had enough and I start, you know, taking the side of the bus driver. It feels great up here, blah, 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 you know, messing with those guys. Oh, the next thing we know, there's smoke coming out of the bathroom in the back. And the bus driver goes, oh, we got a problem. I just lost power. I'm like, what? So long story short, uh, we had an electrical fire on the bus. It shorted the bus out. We ended up at the gas station across from the airport while our bus is in flames. I mean, it wasn't like an inferno, but it started catching. He got the fire extinguishers out and everything else. Well, it's only 120 degrees out. And three o'clock in the afternoon and we're all sitting in a asphalt parking lot waiting to go to river city for bp uh so we got to the game i i guess about 45 minutes beforehand and uh so that that was a that was a dandy um you know yeah. on and on and on and we we uh we've had buses run out of fuel i mean you you know i've done it long enough between playing and managing I, I don't knock on wood. I don't know what I haven't seen, whether it's our, our bus or, or well, I can tell you this: we were in uh, Litchfield at a at a truck stop, and we pull up, and then uh, uh, River City's bus pulls up. They were headed somewhere else, and they got there. Again, it's like 110 out, and Steve Brook gets off the bus, and I go, "Man, Steve, you look like crap." He goes our ACs out. I go, Oh my God, where you guys, they were going to Ohio. I think no, I don't. Well, ours feels great. We're going to Chicago. So hang with them. So they were out of AC and had to go all the way to, uh, so, I mean, you name it, Tyler, it's happened. Uh, And I'm I'm sitting over here laughing, Phil, because all those stories you just told me and, and I'll try to get through them quickly, but they, I've been in that situation the same time. I've got a story. We were flying to Crane for a game, and we had left the day. Usually we would fly in like the night before the games, right? And for some reason, a snowstorm had come through Springfield, and so we ended up having to charter to Omaha, uh, get our rear ends kicked by uh, Doug McDermott and, and uh, I believe Janike <laughs> and all those. Um, it wasn't the game. We actually had a game where Doug McDermott outscored our entire team in the second half, but that was later in the season. <laughs> Um, so thanks for ESPN for the love and reminding us of right. that. But anyway, we get halfway to, and the ma- other head managers just not saying anything, the whole plane ride, bus ride, whatever. And, uh, I'm like, what is his deal? You know? So we get to the hotel and I get pulled aside and I get told, we think we forgot the, uh, the warmups, like the warmup jackets. And here we're in Omaha. There's nothing we can do. We can't fly back to Springfield, you know? Right. Uh, turns out we had him, but I know exactly. You said the guy's name Sam. I know that you know exactly what he's feeling with that. And then, ironically, uh, going to Wichita once at a game, we had a same deal—an electrical problem with the bus. Uh, and again, we went up the day of the game to Wichita for this was for baseball and couldn't open the bottoms of the bus. Something with yep. electrical fa- failure. <laughs> um, it was an ESPN game. And we were trying to get the game pushed back. I think we ended up getting to the ballpark like 45 minutes before before game time. So I say all that 
uh, to say. I definitely, uh, definitely yeah. know those feelings and, and been in your shoes. But you look back on it now, kind of like what we're doing. You kind of almost kind of grin, um, middle coming back from Dallas, Texas, middle of nowhere, uh, Oklahoma. I believe you're somewhere near like Big Cabin. And same thing, our bus breaks down in the middle of the interstate, um, right in front of the only gas station within 10 miles of anywhere. So uh, we kind of lucked out there, but totally understand where you're coming from. And it's one of those, Phil, where it's uh, you chalk it up as uh, an experience for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you got time, I'll give you my best one. And I mean that with all due respect. Absolutely. But, but uh, we were headed to Florence, Kentucky. And we got there and uh, we take in the mornings, we'll take a gym bus, you know, um, a gym bus to go and work out whoever it's not mandatory, whoever wants to go. And then uh, so the bus driver, we met him out there uh, the next morning and uh, it was opening night of the series. So he said, hey, hey, Phil, uh, I'm going to drop you guys off. I'm going to head to uh, Walgreens and pick up a prescription. Uh, my wife didn't pack it. She forgot to pack it for me, blah, blah, blah. And I, I have to have it. I take it like, you know, on, on certain times of the day, every day. I said, understood, you know, if, take your time. If you're going to be late, let me know. No big deal. <clears throat> so obviously, Tyler, the health of our bus drivers is paramount uh, right. with what we do. Um, so anyway, it, it all gets done. We get back on. I said, hey, did you get your medicine? Yeah, I got it good deal. So I had some work to do for the Academy on the computer. So I didn't join the guys at lunch and I was sitting in my hotel room, uh, which I normally wouldn't have done to be honest. And, uh, sitting there doing my work and I get a phone call on the hotel phone and I can't understand the person on the other side. Well, finally my cell rings and I could hear this guy going, help. Are you there? Phil? Help. I'm like, who is this? And I, I don't remember his name. I'll just say Ken. Ken, the bus driver, I need help. And and then that was it. I'm like, what the? So I found the rooming list, thankfully, in my room. I keep a master list. So I run down the hall, find him. <clears throat> Turns out he was on blood thinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had been off him long enough that he developed a blood clot in his lung, was just walking back after taking his medicine, passed out, fell, hit his little dresser thing in there, gashed his head. It looked like a murder scene when I walked into his hotel room. So (laughs) I walk in there and here he is. He's trying to call his wife and all this. I said, man, you got to count, you know, just relax. We'll, we'll take care of all this. So I, I call my trainer. He's at uh, raising canes, you know, 10 minutes away. He's got to walk. So it takes forever. So he gets there, we start helping him, he calls, you know, you can't move him until he calls his work, mm-hmm. uh, figure that out, the, the bus company, so we get that done, you know, we're on the second or third floor of this place, so we had to call EMS, they had to come up, and this was a big gentleman, over 300 pounds, so then they, the narrow stairwells that wind, and it was just an ordeal to get the poor guy out of there, uh, so... They take him off. I have our trainer ride to the hospital uh, because I need I needed to know what the deal was so he could report to the Grizzlies what was going on. Uh, but we also needed the bus keys because all our gear was on it. Well, that was the other problem. He forgot the bus keys, uh, or the the driver had the bus keys, um, 
my pitching coach, same type of deal. I'm sorry, my well, actually, Ken Obergfell, he was my hitting coach, and he was on the road with us. Um, he had medication he needed, and guess what? We couldn't get on the bus. And so it's just now we're dealing with that. So then we had to send the clubby up to the hospital, get the keys, get Obi his medicine. We couldn't get under the bus, much like your story before. So now we're, we can't get our stuff and no one's qualified to drive the bus. So now we're stuck at the hotel and can't get to the park. So the next step was Florence freedoms. And well, they were the freedom then, uh, the entire front office had to drive their cars over. We were riding the back of pickup trucks, uh, small cars. I mean, you name it. And just a caravan to the clubhouse to all the way. I mean, it was just a fiasco. So they finally get another driver there to take us home a couple nights later. Well, the one driver had to stop. And, you know, they ch- it's routine. They'll change out bus drivers on long trips. And uh, we're sitting in this truck stop in the middle of the night in Indiana somewhere. And uh, the bus driver, I'm just like, do you need help? I mean, it's been over an hour after we changed drivers. We should be on the road. Uh, she couldn't get the bus in reverse. She didn't know how. So this just keeps getting, we're like, we feel really safe at this point. We can't even get in reverse. And she's driving us home through the night. This ought to be good. Uh, <laughs> but finally called corporate, got it in reverse, got us home somehow. The next time we go to Florence, Tyler, uh, the entire team ended up with bed bugs and Florence, you know, uh, we had to put all our stuff on the bus to try and nuke the bed bugs uh, and not bring them back home to our host families and our houses. And there, <laughs> so Flor- Florence hotel was not nice to us. Many bad things for some reason to the gateway Grizzlies, but, uh, but yeah, so it turns out, in case anyone's wondering, our bus driver ended up okay. Uh, quick action by our trainer and EMS saved him because he did have a blood clot on his lung. And he ended up, he was up there for two weeks in that hospital after that. So thankfully, we weren't on the road when that happened uh, with him driving. But uh, but yeah, between that and the bed bugs, you know, I'm, I don't really look forward to going to Florence anymore. Yeah, no, totally, totally uh, understand that feeling and, and uh, glad to hear everything was okay. And, and the last question here, Phil, before we get to Tyler's five, I know we're running a little bit yeah. over time. I apologize about that. Um, okay. Frontier League ballparks, um, in case you're you're wondering, um, and I mentioned earlier, I've been to Schaumburg, Joliet, Gateway. They are, and I can't, so I can't speak for every ballpark, but they are some of the nicest facilities in terms of, you know, independently ball that I, that I've seen. Um, so kind of talk about that experience. And, and it almost, you know, I look at a place like Joliet that uh, probably could have a single A team if it wanted to, just based on the facilities and location and all that. So kind of talk about uh, that and, and using that to your advantage as a, as a field manager. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's really, really I reflect on it a lot, especially when we add new teams or a team builds a new stadium, per se. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> because when I when I came into the league as a player, you know, I was in Chillicothe, Ohio, which was a, essentially a city park, was where we played uh, VA Memorial Stadium. It was on the VA grounds, and you know, Johnstown, Canton, uh, some of those places, really small. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, small, kind of. I guess you'd say city park feel to them. And as time went on and 
and Bill Lee and, and the owners and, and the Frontier League office started, you know, uh, capturing new markets and, and new ownership groups, uh, the stadium started to get uh, nicer. They started to show up in bigger markets, bigger cities. You know, now we're, now we're in Cleveland, all over the place in Chicago. <clears throat> you know, obviously River City was with us. <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, Gateway and then, uh, you know, Washington, PA, that's yeah, 20, 30 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. And, and then we added the Can-Am League teams for this year, which would have been New York, New Jersey, uh, Canada. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, with the markets came the ballparks, per se. And um, so, yeah, to your point, Joliet, it, what's really cool is they're all unique. Like Schaumburg sits – you know, you're in a, a very populated area mm-hmm. and then you show up there and it's really, it's big, it's unique the way it's laid out, but it's got this kind of clean hometown feel to it, but big city ballpark kind of. So it's a really, for me, it's a really cool atmosphere. It's kind of the, kind of a taste of both worlds. And then you go to Joliet, which is in the heart of Joliet downtown. <clears throat> you can hear the train, you can hear the firehouse next door. Uh, you know, you can hear, I mean, it's just a true, like professional park in the middle of a city, yeah. uh, beautiful setting. I love it. I love the walkout underneath tunnels. I love everything about it. Uh, the sound of the ball makes off the bat, uh, the echo there is second to none. You know, it's just a, to me, a really cool place. All the big iron gates, the brick, all that stuff, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. And you, you go up to Cleveland and Lake Erie. Um, little different. Uh, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like Gateway in a sense. It's kind of I don't say in the middle of nowhere, but it's got an open feel to it. You're not you you know your horizon's a lot farther away uh, per se. Your next door neighbors, and um, it's kind of an open space environment, if you will. Um, you got the interstate that runs just like a Gateway. It runs on the side of Lake Erie. It's clean, nice place. Uh, dugouts are not underneath they're around back so you you know when you leave the field you get to talk to fans sign autographs things like that so you have fan access they have access to players and you know it's a it's a really cool comfortable feel um you know one i don't i don't know if you've been there but i would uh kind of wish that you could at some point is evansville um you know it's I don't know. I don't know what it is now. I mean, for a while it was the second or third third oldest ballpark in the United States. Um, I don't know where it's at now. If 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 they moved up because someone got leveled or what, but uh, you know that that right there is is history. I mean, you walk in, you can smell it. It's it's uh, it's hot. It's uh, all brick. It's dirt, it's grass, um, the, the crack of the bat, it's unbelievable. The noise that echoes through there, it's old school seating, you know, benches. They get a few box seats really close to the field. But uh, the umpires come out of the tunnel on the visiting side. Um, you know, the dugout roofs are only like six. I mean, it, everybody hits their head at yeah. some point until they learn a hard way. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, – and it's in the it's in the not downtown Evansville, but it's nestled in the community. So everywhere around you is is historical feel to it. And of course, you know, the movie League of Their Own and the history behind that. 
and you sit in you sit in the dugout there on our side and uh tom hanks drank out of the drinking fountain that's in our side you know and you look up on the on the roof of the dugout on our side of the you know the ceiling of it and there's a whole bunch of old you know uh signatures people just signing their names and with that ballpark tyler you think you think back i mean you're talking that that was a triple a park the players that came through there and played there um the names hall of famers um came through evansville at one point and played baseball and we're in that locker room and nothing's changed in that place i mean to the tune of if you're a young kid and don't really care about that and don't know any hall of famers or or history you're probably like they need to level this place and start over uh but for guys like us that have, you know, have a little bit of history on our side, uh, it's it's simply amazing uh, that place. Absolutely, I will definitely uh, check it out. And Evansville is only like a uh, two and a half two and a half hour drive from here for for me downtown St. Louis. So uh, I was actually looking at golfing out there one day. I'm a, I'm a huge golfer, so maybe I'll uh, go take in a golf game when baseball starts up, and then catch a 705 uh, Evansville Gateway great. Uh, gateway game sometime next season out there. There you go. There you go. If, if we're if we're there, I'll sh- I'll show you around. I'll give you an early <laughs> pass and show you some of the history. I appreciate that. Hey, are you ready for Tyler's five? Yep, let's do it. All right, awesome. Uh, first question, um, and I had to change it mid course because I think you already kind of answered it for me. It was, would you rather golf or be on a lake on a on a day <laughs> off? I think I know the answer to that. Is my assumption going to be correct? Yes, your assumption's correct. Awesome. All right, so I changed it to Coke or Pepsi. Coke. Coke. Awesome. Same here. Uh, Second, what song would you sing at karaoke night? Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. That's a good one, too. I... uh, I love that uh, love that era of music, and actually, uh, ZZ Top is my favorite band. Oh, yeah. So I would yeah. definitely be uh, either uh, "Give Me All Your Lovin" or uh, "Got Me Under Pressure" would probably be my uh, karaoke songs. Love it. Good work. <laughs> favorite author. Favorite author. Hmm. Stumped me. Don't have one. Don't have one? Okay, we'll just say all of them. All of them are great. There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Texas Roadhouse or Longhorn Steakhouse? I'm going Texas Roadhouse. Yep, same. Uh, Can't... uh... Can't turn down those uh, those rolls with the cinnamon butter, right? Yeah, it, it melts the butter and melts my heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Last question, Phil. Uh, favorite ballpark food? Favorite ballpark food has to be a loaded bratwurst with onions and cheese and bacon. That's awesome, and that's uh, actually on my dinner list here tonight is a a nice, juicy bratwurst, so uh, looking forward to that. And uh, Phil, really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, I know we went over, but really enjoyed your stories. I know our listeners will as well. Uh, And I tell you what, let's have you on uh, next season before the season starts, and then after a Gateway wins a Frontier League championship next year, I'm going to have you on a couple days after, after you get the uh, celebration out of the way. How does that sound? Outstanding, Tyler. I appreciate it. No problem. Phil Warren, thanks for joining us. All right. Take care.